Hello, lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again, and we have a very fun one in store for all of you today. Our guest this week is the one and only Adam Bolt, a uh, rising star on the British pro wrestling scene. Um, just recently, uh, this year, actually made his debut in TNT Extreme, won the uh, the WAW Pride Championship back in June. Definitely someone to keep your eye on in that scene. Um, and you know, we're very happy to have him on the show today and, and talk about you know his his coming out process a bit um, over the pandemic and and how that has really shaped him for success in a way in, in his eyes and you know the power that comes with that and that sort of thing so really awesome conversation with adam that i'm very excited to share with all of you um before we get there though just real quick I want to touch on a couple of things um one severely disappointed in dana white in the ufc uh, as well as charles radke and and manel cape of course this show not normally really a, a place for discussion about MMA, but you know, it's one of the things that I cover at Outsports and it is in a ring of sorts. So I guess we can touch on that. But yeah, you know, uh, Kape and Radke dropping homophobic slurs in post fight press conferences, uh, UFC 293, really disappointing to see, um, despite the apologies. Although in the case of Kape, I don't necessarily know how genuine that apology is, considering that he used similar language directed towards the current UFC flyweight champion um, earlier this year on Twitter. So take that for what it is. Uh, but then Dana White's response to it in the post-event uh, post press conference was extremely frustrating. Um, look, you have a code of conduct. Hold your fighters accountable to the code of conduct. It's that simple. I don't. It, it, there's no other way around this. There's so been so many UFC fighters that have been, you know, caught out there throwing these kinds of of hateful terms around, um, and a number of them have gone unpunished. You know, like I get it. Like it's good that they apologized and everything. That's fine. You want to have a place of freedom for people to say what they want to say. Like I get it. You want to sell fights in that way, but at the end of the day. When it comes to hate speech, you need to have these things in place, and you need to actually enforce them. It's insulting. It is demeaning. And your lackadaisical approach to it, as well as the fact that ESPN has not commented on it, because Radke's comments were live on ESPN, by the way. Um, it, like the, the the silence and the inactivity around this to, to curtail it is extremely frustrating to see. And to a different degree of frustration, uh, it's also, you know, we talked about this last week on the Big Gay Brunch 7 recap show with Patches, but um, some of the comments from Sunny Kiss now coming out post um, her uh, departure from AEW are extremely frustrating to see. The fact that, you know, she had to beg for TV time. She had to beg for a chance to show what she could do on Dynamite and Rampage. And I don't know, Collision maybe. I don't know how often she was around for a Collision. Who knows? Um, but the fact that she was one of the first people signed to that company and really shown a, a light on how AEW is going to be approaching pro wrestling from a different 
um, from a different avenue in a way and was, you know, basing a lot of this stuff on, on talent as opposed to any other thing. But also the fact that you had someone in your company that was incredibly groundbreaking. Um, the first gender fluid pro wrestler signed to a major pro wrestling company, like incredible representation. Not to, and that's even before you get to the fact of how skilled Sonny Kiss is, as is evidenced by any time that she got a chance to be on TV. The four-year saga of Sonny Kiss in AEW and, and now what we're learning post, you know, her her contract not being renewed um, is extremely frustrating and casts a different light on AEW's approach to queer performers um, overall. Obviously, there are still people that have had success there. Nyla Rose for, like, you know, the second women's champion there. First out trans world women's champion in the history of North American pro wrestling. Um, you know, people like Anthony Bowens right now, you know, AEW tag team champion, AEW trios champion, Tony Storm, Soraya. Like, you have other queer performers that are doing really well there. Um, which is great to see, but this whole Sunny Kiss situation just it it puts the kind of doubts and frustrations in the brain that you don't want to have whenever you have a company preaching, you know, these progressive ideas and this openness to to queer identities and queer performers. It's just an extremely frustrating thing to see. Um Considering how, and I cannot stress this enough, absolutely talented all around in the pro wrestling circle that um, that Sunny Kiss is. I just, I just, it it gets my blood up a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna lie, uh, but let's let's bring that back down a little bit. Let's bring that back down and let's hop into my conversation with Adam Bolt. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I'm very pleased to have as my guest this week someone who is making a name for himself over in the UK across the pond. We've seen him on TNT Extreme at this point. We saw him at uh, WAW's Pride Show up in Norwich, the first ever WAW Pride champion, uh, and, of course, the leading man and the best-dressed man of Big Man Inc., Please welcome Adam Bolt to the show today. How are you doing, Adam? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I'm excited to get the chance to talk to you because, like, as I continue to like expand and have more wrestlers from from the UK scene on, like, you're someone who yeah. I've been having my eye on for like over a year at this point now. You know, as I'm learning more about like the deeper parts like of the of the british scene outside of just what us over yeah. in the states really you know rev pro progress yeah. tnt like the ones that pop out to us in that way but it's been your your story and your journey has been an interesting one to follow and and i'm happy to that you've uh that you're on the show today to to kind of chat a bit more about it um because it's an it's an interesting no, one <laughs> It is very interesting. <laughs> very interesting, to say the least. Mm -hmm. No, like, well, let's let's um, let's dive in. Let's dive in a bit. Let's talk a little bit about the the beginnings of Adam Bolt, so to speak. So, when did you find wrestling initially? Uh, I found, 
to be fair, I've um, it was my earliest memory I have was when I was three years old, which sounds ridiculous, but my earliest memory in life itself is wrestling. I can just remember being sat in the living room with my dad because it was when wrestling was at its like what most people that aren't casual fans would say is its boom period in the late nineties with the Attitude Era and things like that. I just remember seeing WrestleMania fourteen on my TV. That's the earliest memory I've got of my whole life to be honest and i just remember seeing Shawn michael's entrance and apparently for, i can't remember anything after that until about 2001 but from there apparently i used to just sit as this three-year-old four-year-old and i'd just watch it on the tv like i'd just be this toddler that i'd pass the tv and when wrestling was on it i'd just stop and that was before i even knew what it was so it's kind of it feels like fate at this point that you know <laughs> <laughs> no it definitely does like i i can understand that that sort of like moment though because i feel like there's a lot of people that maybe have something that they don't necessarily fully understand at like a young age yeah. like that that they just get attracted to like i mean one of the reasons yeah, why yeah. i'm in sports journalism is because like i started watching like american football around that age i had no idea what was going on i just thought it looked cool so like yeah. it, it makes sense in that way like when did that when did it start to become a thing that you like recognized as you know what it was, right? Or that's something that you I'm trying to figure out the best way to word this question. Sorry. Um okay. <laughs> when did it start to become like a really a concrete thing that you recognize what it was and like you recognize, oh, I am a pro wrestling fan, not just I like what like this these images that I'm seeing. I don't think I ever had that moment purely because I'd, it's like there was never, you know, a lot, a lot of people that, for example, get into it when they're older, they have like a match or a show they watch. Like for me, it's just always been there. It was always there. It was always on the TV. And I can't, it, it, it's crazy. Like there'd be things like I'd watch later on, like when, you know, things like started becoming more frequent, like streaming, like for example, the WWE Network and things like that, I'd go back. And it'd feel like a deja vu moment. Like I'd watch something off of a random roar in like 2000 and I'd be like, I'm, I'm, I've seen this before. And it'd be from that. Like I'd remember certain things or I'd think, is this what comes next? And then it'd happen. I'd be like, I've seen this before. So there's never been like a moment where I've kind of thought, okay, like this is like a thing. It's just always been there. It just grew stronger. And I just thought it was like my favorite TV show. It was only when I got into my... I think it was more the shift in wrestling that made me shift my focus from being a fan to wanting to do it, which is when like the smaller guys and things like that were making a name on the scene. Um, one of the main one was probably um seeing Rey Mysterio win the title in two thousand and six. I think that was when it was like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's always kind of been there. There's never been like a standout moment where I've you know tuned in and been like, oh, like I'm a real big fan of this. It's just always kind of been there. Hmm. So let's talk about Rey Mysterio for just a second, because I feel like that's a good jumping off point a bit for like, you know, talking about your style in the ring as yeah. well. And like, like hearing that, like, that was kind of like a, a spark plug moment for you to be like, OK, no, I could, you know, there is a place for like smaller people yeah. in this space to to actually rise to these high ranks. Um, and then just seeing how that's translated into like, I mean, you're let's let's just face facts. You fly all over the place. Right. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah. Whether you call it flying or being thrown, it's one of the two. But either way, you accomplish <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> Not on the floor. So did did you see Ray as like a as like an influence in a way? I feel like that's kind of like a 
odd question to ask is like he's been around for so long and so many people have pointed yeah. to him as that but uh, just curious since that was your like moment there I, I did but it was never one of it was never like one of my absolute favorites because even through the time of like 2001 2002 when I was like six or seven I was always thinking about Shawn Michaels it just wouldn't leave my brain obviously you can imagine the excitement when he came back but it it was but I think it was more because obviously Shawn Michaels is like smaller and a high flyer as well but Rey Mysterio is if you ask most people who aren't wrestling fans like about a small wrestler most of them would if they do know any would say Rey Mysterio because he's like the most I mean he was from what I remember like the first real cruiserweight to win the world title so he was back then but it was more i'd not always followed him it was more just like i felt like a bit of me was being represented with him doing and at 2006 i was 10 i think so even before i'd even thought about doing it i was feeling like i was like latching onto something and it which is strange because i'd not even told myself it was what i was going to do i kind of always thought i wanted to but like say before then, I just thought, oh, like I'd love to do this, but this is for you know, I'm, I'm like the small ginger kid at school. I'm not six foot. I'm not like you know well built. So it was definitely the starting point to open my mind for it being a possibility as I grew older. It's interesting that you know, obviously, you point to Shawn Michaels a lot in terms of yeah. like influence and that sort of thing. You, you, I think you can see the Adam Bolt character and see a a good amount of Shawn Michaels yeah. just in the entrance alone honestly yeah yeah definitely <laughs> no That's, like I, I it's just one of the see... things that captivated it mm-hmm. it's, no um, like it fits like, very well the, yeah sorry the, go ahead I think that's the main thing no it's all right that's the main thing for <laughs> with Shawn Michaels is it was like I said that earliest memory it wasn't anything to do with the match it was the entrance and I've just thought especially on like an independent scene like you get like the flashy entrances and the over the top characters and things like that, mostly on TV. And everyone only dreams of making an entrance like that. So I'm just kind of like, right, what can I do that makes me different and makes people know who I am before I even get in a ring? And the entrance is the main thing you've got. I mean, if you're walking out in front of a crowd that have never seen you before, are, are you really going to wait until, you know, you're performing in a ring and hope that they latch onto what you're doing? Or are you going to make them know who you are as you walk out? And that's, very much be my mindset over it and like you say you can see it in i mean like there is a bit of i say a bit there's a lot a bit of flamboyance there um like with the ring gear as well like i upped that in the last year and it's just the amount it, it, the crazy thing for me was i was getting ring gear to the point where i wouldn't wear the same one twice which is ridiculous like i've got tabs on what i've wore how many times i've worn it and where i've worn it so i'll never wear the same one twice in front of the same crowd which sounds very over the top but that's what Shawn Michaels was. So it, it kind of fits. I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you can afford it <laughs> to like have that many pairs of gear. Like... I don't know how, to be honest. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of things I probably could and should be spending my money on, and wrestling gear is not one of them, but I do. So It's an investment. <laughs> it's an investment in you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I look so... good in it as well. I'm going to put that out there, so I'm not going to complain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so at what point do you like actually like decide like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a pro wrestler. So that was, I'm going to mention his name again, aren't I? Um, sounds like more of a, like a Shawn Michaels fanboy story at this point. <laughs> but it was, um, 
WrestleMania 25 in 2009. Um, I was watching, I think I was watching it on my own, WrestleMania. Between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels was the one that did it for me. Mm. I mean, obviously, um, that's, an, that's an all-timer right there. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to cut yeah. you off there. Go ahead. No, it's all right. No, I was... Literally that, it was just... I don't know what it was, because I'd seen, like, a lot of matches that I'd loved, but it was just something about, like... It It was like, I think JR's called it on um, commentary, and he said that it was like an out-of-body experience when he kicked out of the tombstone, I think. And it was literally that, like... I, it was like I wasn't even sat there watching. It was like I was there. And I'd, I'd, like, been, you know, entertained and pulled in throughout, like, different storylines and stuff like that, but I'd never experienced anything like that. And I was just like... I, I, it was kind of a feeling like, do you know what? Like, I feel like that's like everyone has goals in life, and I feel like that's the peak one to have something like that. But I'm never going to get that unless I do this. And I was just thinking, it's definitely what I want to do. Like, there's now. Then I knew. Obviously, it took me a few years to actually get into it from there. But yeah, it was definitely that match just answered everything for me. Mm. So like it, that match, you know, it's just a. A collection of of moments that are going to stand the test of time in the wrestling world, obviously. Yes. And it's interesting that you know you kind of point to like this that specific moment of of Sean kicking out the tombstone because of like what that moment meant. And you know, yeah. it's I don't know, like obviously, like there are a lot of people that get into pro wrestling, like get into it to want to like create moments. They have their own motivations and that sort of thing. You know, whether it be creating yeah. moments or like, you know, to showing off technical prowess or whatever, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um would you say that like creating moments like that was like your initial desire? It's strange because I never think of it like that, but when I think about what I've done, I definitely am like a kind of like a moment chaser like it's the stuff that will live with me that i can say that i've done or that i could say that i've lived through is definitely the stuff that also keeps me going to wanting more so yeah like i, I don't get me wrong like wrestling's been my passion from day one like just even being able to get in a ring and just do it and like the entertainment side of it and the attention side of it like i adore but i think it really hits home and it really makes me sit and reflect and think like how lucky I am to be able to do it, which sounds crazy because obviously on an independent level, there's not many people that take the time to sit and appreciate that because everyone's working towards making the dream come true. And it's like they that focused on where they're going, that they don't enjoy where they are. And it's the moments that kind of, even something simple as like, you know, a drive back or sitting in your hotel room and you kind of just sit there and you just, it's like, it makes you appreciate it more. And it's them like, it's kind of like a, like a bus route. Like it's like every time you get to that stop where you can have a pause, it's like, appreciate what you've done and be like just appreciate the hard work you've put in rather than being always on the go to the point where you've spent a year you've not actually enjoyed any of it because you're working so hard to get somewhere that you're not like you you hear it from the people at the highest level they always say like enjoy the journey and you never really know what it means but I feel like I've got a pretty good idea as to what it means because I make sure I do that because without it it's just going to be a big blur like I want to appreciate everything I've done and not just wherever I end up at the end point no, I hear the same thing from a lot of wrestlers, no matter like what, you know, region or scene they're in. Like a lot of people that, yeah. that end up not really taking the time to kind of stop and just recognize what they're doing, what they're creating around them. And like, and 
how beneficial it is to kind of reach that point in your career where you recognize yeah. that like oh you, the grind will be there it's okay to yeah. like take moments for yourself in a way how long did it take you to kind of recognize that for yourself it took a long time because i was i feel like for the i mean i'm we're in august now i think um including lockdown i'm five years in just over um and before lockdown there was none of that because it was just like i was in a training school that doesn't exist anymore um it was very generic like you know the a lot of the heels were the same a lot of the faces were the same and i wasn't me like and i knew i wasn't me from day one at first i thought it's because it was a character i will probably get into it but it, it was a lot more than that in the end but um I never really appreciated anything. Like if I think about like my first moment that I had, I think they were they started to come after lockdown when I knew I'd put the work in through lockdown. I knew I'd been hitting the gym. I knew I had a character. Like I wanted to come out of lockdown like a different person. Because we were all at the starting point. Like everyone had been pulled back. And if you're on an independent level, you went performing every week. So everyone was kind of at the it was like fair game from the starting point. And it's just like one big race to see who's gonna take this either take the spots back or snatch them really so i think the moment started coming for me after lockdown but before it it was just a big blur how would you describe pre-lockdown adam bolt <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is basically me describing it right there that i feel you um, yeah like just you know everything you want to get away from just like no it's I think obviously I look back at it now and I'm like, it's all part of the journey, even the negatives. So like without that Adam Bolt, there's no me today. I get that. But it's frustrating a bit because I just feel like it wasn't me. And like people like and stuff all the time pull up all photos and like, huh, look when you had a quiff or like huh, look when you had certain words on your gear, which I just move away from. But it's just like things like that, I'm just like, oh no, but it was very generic that was the best way because like i say i was in a training school where it was kind of like you know everyone would go out yeah we, we could in the training school i was in we couldn't even pick our own music so that's how less like much of an identity felt like you didn't have if that makes sense like it was just it was kind of like we we're in a like a little bubble and you couldn't get out of it like and that's not because of the people running it by any means it's just i don't think anybody realized like the environment it was until you get out to other places and then you start seeing like, well, I've always been taught this and I've always been taught to do this. And it's like learning from people on the scene and big names that, you know, you cross paths with, paths with that. It's kind of like you can start evolving then, but there's no evolution within yourself when you're in the same place with the same people all the time. So yeah, it was very generic. It was just kind of, I don't even know what to tell you, to be honest, because I don't think about it much. <laughs> it's kind I, mean... of, I just pretend it never happened. In my <laughs> my ideal world, I debuted after lockdown, and that is all that ever happened. There you go. I can understand wanting to write that narrative for yourself. Yeah. So if anybody Googles Adam Bolt 2019, nothing comes up, so don't waste time. <laughs> it's interesting hearing you talk about, like, the – the the like bubble atmosphere at, at the school that yeah. you trained at and everything like and hearing that like everything was I don't know if micromanage is the right word per se yeah. but like but somewhat in in that realm like even down to the point that like y'all aren't able to choose your own like entrance music and that sort of thing like yeah that feels like a very creatively stifling environment so to speak yeah um 
at what what was the first place that you that you went to um that kind of helped you kind of realize that that bubble was present and that kind of helped you popped it a little bit I mean, I had a few, I did do a few bookings here and there outside of that training school. Then I kind of, but it was almost like I'd, it was them that I wasn't a fan of because that was where it felt like wrestling and not like this kind of like family environment. It felt like that's when the pressure's on because you're surrounded by people you haven't met. And and I, I didn't like it because of what I was used to. But in a weird way, it was going to the other, my next training school that I went to, which was House of Pain in Nottingham in the UK that's when I saw what a training school is and should be like because it was a world away from it. And like I say, that's not to throw shade at the people that ran the old training school. It was just, I think what happened was it was old school. It had been going for loads of years. And like we all know, in wrestling changes so quick and so often that I think wrestling had evolved through like, you know, especially with the boom period of like NXT and things like that and seeing what people could do. And like, it's like I always say, a lot of the bigger companies, it's not people don't really accept stuff until they see it on TV a lot of the time. So when wrestling was changing through that and then you had these people that were getting into it because of that and they were going to an old school mentality train school, it didn't mesh well and it was just like I was there not doing it as a hobby. I was doing it because I wanted to get somewhere and I was just kind of felt like I had this road, roadblock in front of me all the time. But yeah, that all went away when I went to House of Pain because it was just it's just so different. Like the, like the um, wrestler that runs it is goes by the name of Sticks. Um, done a lot for me in lockdown when we were able to train we did like closed sessions with him and things like that and it's just so positive all the time like we'll help individual needs and like people out differently and it's not just a case of telling everybody the same thing it's just it's just it feels less I wouldn't wouldn't use the word toxic in fact yeah I would toxic it feels less toxic and more actually like you're benefiting from everything and just being around them people Mm. And obviously it seems like you've obviously you've flourished in that environment now, you know, with the creation of, of the the Adam Bolt that we know now. Yes. Yes. And and what you've gone on to do since, you know, that that reinvention, so to speak, in a way. I am curious to ask though that you brought up NXT and like obviously like whenever you were like training and coming up, NXT UK was still in operation. Like Yeah. Did that what influence did that have like for you over there? Cause like, I, I'm always curious to know like how much like that influenced the scene per se, but also the people within it. Yeah. Okay. So I think for British wrestlers, like, I may be speaking for myself. I may be speaking for a lot of people, but I'd like to think on a larger scale in British wrestling, you, you can go so far. You can, you know, you can work the shows like, you know, TNT progress, the bigger shows that, have eyes kind of in different countries as well but i feel like right now you hear a lot of it it's kind of like a split between okay if i'm really going to make it the eventual destination is either the states or japan so seeing that large platform in the uk that was just like an extension of nxt in the uk it's kind of you kind of reward away and i feel like a lot of people must be like it like i don't feel like there's ever a point where you feel like you're in that like at that crossroads i feel like things will just change and you'll you'll get there one day and it's like right now well not right now but when nxt uk was happening it was kind of that one thing that motivated you a bit more because you could see it was more achievable than you thought like seeing that it's you know the tapings are happening a few literally a few hours away all these people are people that were doing exactly what you were doing but like two three four five years ago so 
it was definitely like an indicator that was like if you put the work in like it is achievable it's not this impossible dream that only a select few can make it i mean it is still very much true but there's an element to it that hard work pays off because the people that were on there were people that were very well respected and that had put in the hard work over the years so it, it was very positive if anything it just gave us something to like work towards within our own territory and not without thinking about traveling elsewhere just to make it i mean it's always good to have a motivational force like that you know a play a yeah. goal to attain i can understand that fully i think it's just interesting because like obviously like being like not just in the states but on like the complete opposite end of this like the furthest away from the uk that i could be in the united states yeah um <laughs> like, i don't necessarily get like you know like that that on the ground like feel of what like of what that meant in that region yeah right so like it's always interesting to to hear that and and it's a shame that it's gone away at this point who you know cross cross fingers to nxt europe um but but um, it's good to hear that there was like a lot of like positivity that came out of that. A lot of things that kind of have pushed you to where you are now. Because I yeah. feel like twenty twenty three has been a pretty damn good year for you. Yeah, it's it it was it was it was sad to see it go, but I feel like it's left. It's kind of made a statement anyway. Because I mean, NXT UK wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a lot more eyes than we initially thought on the UK itself. Anyway, so if there's anything to take away, it's the fact that although, you know, we're not on different planets, like these people, like big names or people that are the right connections that are in the States or that are in Japan do obviously take note because if they didn't, it, you know, it wasn't NXT Spain, it wasn't NXT Germany, it was NXT UK for a reason. So it, it, it was a bit, very big positive and whether it's good, good, like we enjoyed it while it lasted, but while it's gone, it, it's not forgotten. And I feel like, especially for me anyway, like the impact it had, it's, it's left... I feel like I'm more careful, if anything, like, I'm very much, like, the way I carry myself on socials, like, I just carry myself, like, I'm a business and it's professional, because that's what I like to present myself as, and, like, it's made me more aware of who could be watching, Um, I've had a few, like, hints here and there about who could be watching from, like, you know, random likes or, like, retweets or messages and things like that, so, it, it's kind of opened my eyes a bit as well as motivate me. It's opened my eyes to like, you know, there's just, you never know who's watching. Thing. Yeah. I mean, that's very true, especially in the, in the pro wrestling world. <laughs> you, yeah, you never exactly. know who's, who's going to catch you and, and, and like get a spark from you. So. Yeah. Um, Obviously the pandemic was a very transformative period for you, not just in terms of like the creating yeah. the Adam bolt that, you are proud of now and that you are yes. you, you can boast about publicly but um that that period also kind of saw this um emergence of you you know coming out and and talking a bit more about your identity yeah. and i know that some of the circumstances around that weren't necessarily the best in terms of like how it happened you know um but i'm curious yeah. To, I want to talk to you a little bit about that that whole period and process and everything. So, um, you're you're bisexual. Is that something that you had been kind of like? I don't know if I don't know if I just want to like completely just like bottom line label it as like struggling with. You know what I mean? But like a conversation you're having with yourself yeah. for a while. Like was that something that you had been like in conversation with yourself 
for for a while at that point? Yeah, so I think I think what it was that was the driving force behind it was I was it was around the time because most people a lot of well a lot of people grow up having an idea through the teenage years like I was eighteen and didn't have a clue it it never crossed my mind nothing and then as I started telling people like my friends and my family when I was I think I was twenty twenty one about literally a couple of weeks after me finally telling my friends and having this weight lifted like I started wrestling training and I was hiding it again because I didn't know these people so it was the biggest struggle I faced with it was more it wasn't a case of worrying about what people would say it was more I just didn't want to be it like and I still see like it's kind of like like an underlying trauma sort of thing like a fight with yourself because I still see it'll come out every now and then and I'll see it creeping out where it's like I pull myself back because I'm like I, I, I spent so long wishing I wasn't that it's hard to just over kind of sell up that I am. Um, I think when I when it came to coming out of lockdown, I've made all these changes. Like I'd had a bit of a body transformation through lockdown. I'd been working for training. I was better than ever. And I was doing these shows and I was getting the reactions for like, you know, being Adam Bolt and everyone, Adam Bolt everyone knows now, but something still didn't feel right out. And I feel like the best advice I got which has always stuck with me was like the best characters in wrestling are just like elevated versions of yourself and I call myself still. And I think that's what was the turning point because it it was an ongoing struggle, but I'd not realized the whole time it's because I'm hiding it again because these people you know, and now the people I spend most of my time with and like the closest people I've got in my life and so, for personal things as well. So once I'd done that, then it made. I feel like it was coming out that for that reason only that fully created. It was like the first big piece of clay on the Adam Bolt mold because it's like like the character was great. Like the character was always there. I knew what it wanted to be, but with any character, you need the right person behind it. And me not being able to be myself, I felt like I was always giving eighty every time I went out. Like I'd never felt at a hundred, and then to no surprise at all, after I'd come out and I started doing shows. Uh, it felt like every all of that had gone away. Mm. This is interesting to hear, like how you know, I I love like the, obviously that adage, you know, you know, just turning yourself up to like eleven or whatever is yeah. like, that's a very common thing thrown around in the pro wrestling world. But in the context of like our community and the people, whenever we're struggling to, you know not just acknowledge like this part of ourselves publicly, but privately yeah. too, like how much yeah, of a, of a handcuff that can be on, on yeah. you. Um, what was it like the, like that first, that first time you came out of the curtain, like post coming out publicly, like was it just like this feeling of elation or freedom or like, what was it? Yeah, it, I, I can remember it was only, I think it was one of my um, training school shows. But to me, that first show felt like a WrestleMania because it felt like it was the first, like my body had be, always been there. Like my body had always physically been in that room wrestling, but like mentally and spiritually, I wasn't. And that was the first time when like, we felt like they'd come together. And then that's when... I was fully focused. I had like tunnel vision then for this like being Adam Bolt. It's like 
it hurt all the time. Like, I can't put all my love and effort into a character if I haven't got that in the person behind it. And that's very much how I felt. So when I started, when I did that show and I'd walk out to the curtain because it was the first time where I'd see everyone in the face, you know, with all the faces in the crowd. And I wouldn't, it's like whether they knew or not, it didn't matter because I was accepting it. It's like once you get to that point, it's like it's like all bets are off then because there's nothing stopping you. Like, you you know, you'll face certain things in your life where people might say the wrong things. Somebody might. We see it all the time. Not everyone's accepting of it. We get that. But I don't care. Like, I really don't care. Like, now I've accepted it. Like, nothing they say is going to be worse than struggle I had myself. So from now on, it, it after that point, it was just, I felt like I was, for the first time in, what, since I was 18, 19, like I say, there were stages where telling my family, then my friends, then hiding it again. It was, I was 20, I think it was 25, maybe, when I first, 25, 24, when I first told them. So that was a good four, five, six years of feeling for the first time that I was me. Mm. That's powerful. I don't think the story, to be fair, it's not, it, it, this happens all the time with me when I'm telling people about like my personal story. Mm. I just see it as, because I'm one of these people, like I'm not always in touch with my emotions. I'm not, but it is like, it's not a massive deal because like anybody who's friends with me thinks I'm the most miserable person on earth. And I do come across like that. I'll give them that. But it's not until I start talking about it and I start telling it that I realized that if somebody else, or just because it's not a big deal to me in that sense, like if somebody else was telling me this like six years ago, it'd come across like that to me too. Like it would come across as powerful because it is, it's a big struggle. And there's a lot of things that have gone off in that time that I've either added to the pressure or helped take pressure away. And it's like I've said from day one, you know, any part of that makes anybody else's journey easier or them not put up with even one of the that time, then I'm winning. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a celebration in accepting yourself, but there's also, if it can help a few people along the way, then why not? There's nothing better than that. No, I completely agree. And I think that's that's the, the perfect kind of realization to have because I feel like a lot of, I feel like individually, uh, especially like in terms of like internal dialogue, we have a, a way of like, you know, um, undermining aspects yes. of, of ourselves very easily yeah. right okay. um and it's not until um other people hear your story and and like internalize it and then express it back to you in a way yes. that that can really shed as the, the needed light on just how important it is and like we've seen obviously you know numerous numerous people in the pro wrestling world uh that you know have come out in similar fashion that have, you know, expressed similar thought processes to, to yours in a way. And like, it's just really cool to see like those moments whenever it, it does click and you are able, it's the same way to talk about like the grind, right? Not taking time to like kind of step back and just relax and see yeah. what you have accomplished. Right. Like you're in, you are in the thick of, of kind of, overcoming that and getting to the point where you can tell your story and that sort of thing. Yeah. And at, at that point, it's kind of like you're see, not seeing the, the forest for the trees and you yeah. just have to take that, that step back. And sometimes the interactions with, with people outside of you are 
one of the few avenues that allow you to do that like yeah exactly there's mm-hmm. um there's been one one specific thing that's like as somebody like that has struggled with that as well um i haven't like i've spoke about it on different um podcasts and things like that like in 2020 when i lost my nana that was hard but i think for that in terms of like the coming out and things like that one of the hardest things was one one of my i lost one of my closest friends um i think it was like 2015 um and that was very sudden and i think i feel like a lot of people you know if there if there was anything you could have done you would have done it it's just one of them things that I had put for for a long time and feeling like, oh. So now hearing it, like, it doesn't when you just say it, but when I hear people say now that, like, in any way I've, like, saved them, or, like, somebody who lost somebody before and felt like I couldn't be that person that saved them, for people to turn around now and say, in any context, big or small, that I've saved them, whether that's on their journey, whether that's in life itself, like, that's all I can be told that makes it everything seem worth it because it is like I was I was always quite strong I always have been so I feel like at this point I can face anything and nothing was ever going to break me from doing what I want to do but not everyone's that strong not everyone can pull through like some people can and I feel like if there's anybody and there are people that have told me themselves that have just by hearing it have said that I've like in any way saved them or pulled them through like I'd go through that over and over again if it means that it saves anybody to be honest no i mean that's a a powerful thing to kind of realize the influence that your story can have and and you know not everybody gets that sort of like redemption journey in a way right not to say this redemption but you know what i mean like yeah yeah no it's true no, it's I I love that for you. I love that that's that's been your experience and that you've had that kind of influence on the people that do come to shows and see you because like just like here in the states like we're seeing a a a boom of LGBTQ identities in the pro wrestling world over in the UK and even the wider like European wrestling yeah. scene as well and not to mention the fact that you know we have um we have some places that are actually being run by lgbtq people uh you know places such as full force which i know you've wrestled at before with yes. hotshot joey scott over there yeah. like I, I i everybody i talked to about hotshot joey scott says that he <laughs> never gets enough credit for what he's done no i feel like he's somebody that flies under the radar but i think a lot of that comes from him as a person he, he's not somebody that likes to i don't i don't think he's somebody that likes to talk about what he's done or how much influence he has and that's not just in terms of any kind of lgbt issues that's just kind of that's the it, like I, I don't claim to know him the best i've been on a few shows with him i get along with him very well but he, he does come across like that i feel like he's happy flying the radar i do agree there's a lot of things that he's he's done and his people he's helped that he should be credited for whether he wants that credit i don't know but it is there <laughs> it's there waiting for him when he wants it <laughs> yeah when he decides that he cares and all he's like, <laughs> Like me when he decides he cares enough like i'm sure he'll accept it but <laughs> exactly exactly we'll just keep we'll just keep it on ice for for that when that moment comes it'll yeah it'll just keep growing 
All right, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. We're just going to take a quick break here to let you know uh, ways that you can support the show. And say thank you to some very rad people that help make this show uh, as amazing as it is. Um, first off, if you would like to support the show, we are on Patreon now. Patreon.com slash LGBT Ring Pod. Multiple tiers there. For everyone that feels so moved to support this show, we've got numerous uh, patron benefits over there, uh, including bonus shows that are going to be coming out on a monthly uh, roundtable of those sort of things. So uh, definitely go over and check us out uh, again, patreon.com slash LGBT ring pod. Every single dollar that is uh pledge there to support the show is very very humbling and we thank you we also have a, a merch store over on brainbuster tees go to brainbustertees.com and search lgbt in the ring uh you got t-shirts tank tops all kinds of good stuff and you know always looking at some new things as well but uh, definitely check us out on brainbuster tees there as well you can follow the show on social media as well we're everywhere um, that we have accounts. We're at LGBT Ring Pod. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, co host, <laughs> Mastodon, whatever. We're there. Uh, so follow the show there. You can follow me at Wonderboy OTM on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. We also want to give a huge thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme, Formula 666, from the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, or you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp. Another great way to support the show uh, is over at independentwrestling.tv. Check out IWTV for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. You can use our code LGBT Ring Pod or visit uh, the URL tinyurl.com slash IWTV LGBT. And uh, whenever you, uh, as long as you use that code to open your account and keep that active, we get a kickback from IWTV. So your subscription to watch all the great wrestling that we talk about on this show uh, goes to support the show as well. Thumbs up there. Of course, if you want to read more of my pro wrestling writing, you can check out outsports.com. And if you are into video games, I also co-host a video game news uh, Twitch stream every Monday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It's called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. Um, I co-host that with uh, two dear friends and Twitch streamers, uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin. Um, just run through the, the week's gaming news or we throw on a game and play and just have fun and be dumb. It's, it's great. But uh, you can check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Sun like the star. With that said, let's get back to the show. Obviously, like the big, like in terms of like, LGBTQ stage that a lot of people got to see you up for the first time was with WAW. You know, was starting up their their Norwich Pride yeah. shows uh, last year, um, which you know you had the opening match uh, on last year's show, yeah. and then of course this year you're fighting for the for the Pride title down there. Like, 
take me back to 2022 yeah. whenever that show is coming together like whenever whenever you're contacted about being on that show and and like knowing your own journey and that sort of thing like what um what is going through your head at this point yeah so that first show was roughly i think it was not far off um it was a year to the month i think when i actually came out to my wrestling friends so it was a big thing. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been a part of anything like that properly. And I was just a bit like in two minds because I was still in that mentality where like I, I cared what people thought of me. And I didn't want to be labeled as an LGBT. I wanted to be nothing I do. Like I didn't. I just wanted to be. Back then it was a bit of a worry, but I was happy to do it because. I knew the people that were there, so I was happy to do it. Um, and I did it, and the opening match was great. Like it was one of my like a lot of people will tell you that things like triple threat matches and fatal four ways they hate. I love a good triple threat match. I love it. Like just the fact that you've got an extra element to think about. I, I love it. And it was one of my favorites. Just opening the show, we opened it up quite hot. Everyone there was happy with it. Um, and after it, I it was kind of like I didn't see the importance of it because you know it most of it it, it was just in fans and there wasn't much talk about to me anyway about lgbt issues or being a wrestler or anything like that so to me at the time the build-up was like quite panicking but once i got there it just felt like another show and um, obviously that changed by the second one but the first one was very different to the first one the second one <laughs> <laughs> it definitely did change with the second one obviously you know with you wrestling mitchell star uh yeah. a honestly an lgbtq icon for for that region in the indie pro wrestling yeah. world um what was it like to step into the ring with, with mitchell and just take in that entrance like it like you talk about like your your entrance and and how like you like sets a tone Mitchell Starr coming out and just doing a Rocky Horror. <laughs> Do you know how long I stood in that ring? Watching oh, back, I saw it was like three minutes. No, it felt like three years. It felt like three years. I was stood there because he said, oh, I'm going to do this entrance. I was like, okay, that's fine. I was fully on, full on expecting just like, you know, a bit of an entrance. Maybe he's going to grab a microphone now. Any warm up I had done had wore off by the time he actually got in the ring. Take it that way. <laughs> I was shivering in July because oh. I just lost all my warm up. I was just like, right, okay, this is great, you know. Like, why didn't I get this entrance, you know? But <laughs> no, it was great. And the worst part is, I didn't even understand it because I'd not. I knew roughly what um, Rocky Horror was, but I've never actually seen it. A lot ah. of people judge me for that. So I didn't have a clue what was going off. I was just like, I don't understand this at all, you know. Like we had the um, the few on the stage dancing, and then he was singing this song. And I was like, one thing I didn't get, because I I'd get it now, but at the time when he, he said the word, like obviously in the song, like anticipation, and he stopped and he looked at me and he said patient. I was like, that's not even a word. That makes no sense. Like, <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> now I get it because I've been shown what the film actually is. So now I get it. But at the time I was just like, I think I just like looked across at Jack, who's obviously my personal security. And I was just like, I'm confused. I don't understand what this is. But yeah, the, but now I know what it was. The entrance was, it was great for a Pride show. Like, very great. Extravagant. Everything you could imagine on a Pride show, to be honest. Mm -hmm. No, it was it was a, a sight to be seen. And, and honestly, like, I think the consternation worked even more 
for you in that moment because it's just like oh, i'm just i'm just here to wrestle like what yeah what is all this come on we gotta we gotta we gotta fight <laughs> it's not very often i'm on a show where somebody has a better entrance than me mm. but that night i felt like i'd literally walked straight to the ring not looked at anybody not struck a pose nothing i felt like i might as well i just walked out and just got in the ring and not even had my name announced because that's what i felt like when i compared my entrance to his but you know you win some you lose some it's not often i lose <laughs> some but i did in that entrance <laughs> so you know, having the opportunity to to work with with Mitchell and and WAW, and you know, just knowing kind of like the you know the the legacy that yeah. WAW has had in in the region, and that Mitchell has had with WAW as well as the the LGBTQ community and and pro wrestling over there. Like, was there any? Did you take away any personal significance for from being in the ring with Mitchell? Yeah, I think a lot of it was the build up to it and me being there in the first place because I I know for a fact that like Mitchell said after the match himself, um I had no idea who was gonna grab them from. I was full on just like give me this belt, yeah, like just being the biggest arsehole I could be. And my phone all that changed. Which I hate when people do that to me because I I don't I'm not in touch with emotion. I'm somebody if somebody says the right thing like it will show and I was like no not now and he grabbed the microphone and he, he said a few things and like he said, he'd fallen over the line. And I fully believe that is probably the main reason why I was in the position I was in. Um and it just it stands to like that is. Um to do that for somebody else. Like that was WAW's his home promotion. I'm not there often. He could have easily have been the one to walk away with that belt that night and just in front of his crowd that love him that see him all the time be the first ever but he willingly was happy for me to have that and I can't thank him enough for that because if there was anything coming for like there's a lot of things that have happened to me in wrestling where it seemed like fate and I've never been one of the sort of people but it's just odd to me that the first pride show I was in the opening match it was just about you know a bit of here and there and then I'd put all this work in, not just in wrestling between the first and the second one, but also accepting who I am and then using it to benefit others and then getting out there, telling it and doing all these different appearances, podcasts, news interviews, all that. And then I had where I became their first Pride champion. Like, it writes itself. Like, so Craig Mitchell star and the match itself was one of my favourite one-on-one matches I've had. Like, I... I, I, I no disrespect to Mitchell, it's nothing like that. I wasn't expecting much from it because I was at the Pride Show last year, the year before. And although, you know, the main thing behind this is it's a Pride Show, we're going to push that and not the quality of the wrestling. So coming out of that match, when it was actually one of what I feel like was like a personal highlight in terms of the wrestling as well, which we couldn't have done without Jackie T, by the way, because I think he took more beating in that. Um, yeah, it, wrestling Mitchell was just, it was incredible. And like, it just, you get them people sometimes where you just have instant chemistry with. And I felt that, and I feel like we could go again and again and again because the chemistry I felt with him and we'd not even, you know, even, I don't even think I've ever been in a room with him up until that point. So yeah, it was great. No, the, the chemistry was electric. I will agree with you on that. Like, I I really enjoyed the match. I really I liked 
the implementation of Jackie T in there as well, just healing it. I I, I love the the tactics and everything like that. But I, I will say the the post match moment with with Mitchell kind of you know giving you the the praise and you know yeah. talking a bit about your journey and all this like that it it got me too like you know and and I could see it on your face and like you know I I imagine that was a even if you didn't like that it made you emotional per se in the moment <laughs> like that that seemed like a not just a pretty um uh powerful moment for yourself but also pretty vindicating moment yeah it was nice having the thing that you see it when you watch it back as well the main thing i remember from that like once that had been said was a sound this is like quite it's not deep but it's it's quite you know not like me but it was when i was stood on the top rope and jack was stood down on the floor because knowing he'd been there through it all and he was like that when I say he came out to my wrestling friends, he was one of them. He'd seen that growth within like two years of me being worried to tell one person to then holding a belt that represents everything about it in front of every room full of people I didn't know. Like that's when it kind of hit home, and I was like, "This is big, like a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be." And I felt like you know this is this is me. Like I thought coming out of lockdown, it was me. Like no, like this is me. Like being able to perform and do what I do in a ring, have people appreciate me for an in-ring ability, but also the character and all these different aspects of it. But and then the extension of that is the person behind it. Because everyone's all, like, you know, it shows people appreciate whether whether they hate you or they love you. Like, they're going to appreciate who Adam Bolt is. But I felt like they appreciated me that night, not just Adam Bolt. It was me as a person, which that, that you, you can't ask for that. It's hard to even try and create that. So... It was special. No, it's, it is a very rare thing that that you get in in this, you know, world, so to speak. Um, yeah. I'm curious to ask you about you. You mentioned Jackie T, kind of being there from the very beginning of this, like, you know, new yeah. or personal Adam Bolt. Like, how important has Jackie T been to you? You know, with having him on this journey, not just as your personal security, but also like you know, as like the this person in wrestling who you like trust so much and and are seem to be very close to yeah so i've i've had a lot of friends over the last year whether that's through whether the last few years whether that's through school through whatever i have never in my life experienced a bond like i've got with him which it it came it was just strange like we was in the trains that same training school that i mentioned we both trained there so we've i've known him kind of since day one I started even getting into wrestling but I'd not it was only through lockdown when his tag team partner at the time stopped wrestling and he was like you know I need a I, I don't know what I'm going to do and I was kind of like well I know what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to do and then I was just thinking about my character and I thought I knew outside of wrestling and behind the curtain Jack had this amazing personality and everyone adored him for it but when he walked out to the ring he saw none of it so we was kind of like trying to push him to like show it because I was doing it and he was working so I was like that's when I came up with the idea. I was just like, why don't you just be my security guard? I mean, it's even funnier the fact that you're the same size as me. Like, no one's going to take it seriously. But that it's like the whole Seth Rollins thing with J&J security. Like, it was ridiculous. But it worked. So we started off on that. And then we like was trialing everything things. But the more we was doing that, we were spending more time in cars. Like, you know, and then we'd start doing things like 
doing things outside of wrestling and just like watching wrestling shows together like we'd watch WWE's pay-per-views and things like that so it was only then when you started realizing that this goes a bit more beyond wrestling and like now anything in my personal life or anything like that is the first person I talk to like all the time it, it's literally like having that childhood best friend at school that's what it feels like but I'm in my 20s <laughs> mm. like I, I couldn't replace it with anyone else like there is a reason we like I say like since I started wrestling fate has become a big thing for me and there is a reason that I tag with Jack and that Jack is my best mate because it couldn't be anyone else couldn't no one else had put up with me either like I'm the most miserable person on earth. Like no one's going to put up with that as the best friend. <laughs> like, I realize nobody. that like in an interview setting, you're definitely like on in a way, but like, I'm not getting most miserable person in the world vibes right now. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Well, he does. He sees it all the time. Like yeah. <laughs> I, we'll be sat in it. We'll be sat in a car on the way to a show and I'll just be like, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. We'll get there and we'll have the best time ever. We'll have a good match and all that lot. And then after We'll go get some food, and then it'll be back to can't wait to go on. He sees every side of it, so <laughs> no, no, not many other people get to see that side of it. Like, but it's one of them things where like I'm, I'm awful to him as well, and I will admit that with good reason. Like, I take the piss out of him more than anybody else. So it's one of them things where if anybody else did it, it wouldn't be okay. But when I do it relentlessly, it's fine. Like, yeah, it takes it well. So I say that <laughs> he might cry for all I know, but who cares? <laughs> You mentioned that that fate has kind of become something in in pro wrestling that you've um kind of I guess become like I don't know exactly I can't remember exactly how you put it because my short term memory just like ran out of my brain but like fate fate has become something that's like important to you and like the the pro wrestling world is something that that you've put more stock in so to speak like why why is that like what what influenced that. I, I think it's I, I think it's just like a natural process of the journey for me. I think I've I, the more I've realized what's achievable by the effort you put in. Like a lot of people have said it over the years. Like you know you get in you get out what you put in, and that has never been more true because I'm living proof of it. I mean, not only have I put in the professional like work and trying to get that, I've also put myself out there just for other people to feel better within themselves, like which is a big thing to do. But the more I do it and the more it's just adding it like I say, it's like just the more clay adding to that mode of whatever I'm gonna look like in five years, ten years, like the person I am, who I'm gonna be and what I'm gonna represent. So like I think it is the kind of the taste of success, but it's not just the success in terms of oh, you know, like, I managed to wrestle on this show. It's also, like, it's not a coincidence that the longer this journey goes, like, every time I get into bed, I feel better about myself. And that's because of the things I'm doing and the, like, experiences I'm having, the work I'm putting in, but then what I'm getting back of it, whether that's personal, like, you know, people aren't touching with me on a personal level or whether it's just, like, peers and things, like, telling me that I'm going somewhere, like, I think it's just that because it's what I've wanted as a kid and like, you know, it doesn't just come overnight and regardless of how much you want it, it's not going to happen unless you put the work in. So it very much is that, I think, just that driving force. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know you mentioned it's not necessarily about like the shows that you work, but that that's a really good point to kind of bring up the fact that you debuted yeah. with TNT Extreme this year. Um, yes. Obviously one of like 
the three that the big three there in in the UK, you know, facing yeah. off with Shea Monet, uh, with yeah. the Saj in his corner. Um, I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts about like that whole situation there because like it it was an inter- obviously like it's set up in the structure of like you know wanted to bring in a unsung queer talent to to showcase as Shay and yes. and Visage are getting ready to face Bussy at the Big Gay Brunch, um, but. I don't know, like that. The match was, I I really enjoyed the match. I felt like the crowd was like there with you, um, and I love the moment yeah. pre-match that you have with Visage. You know, speaking about you know, Visage being the mother and that sort of thing. But <laughs> oops, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Was... not oh, me. hey, it, that's fine. What was that? What was that opportunity like for you? Like, what was what was your reaction whenever like that kind of kind of came across your plate? So it goes back to me saying that you know things like you don't always appreciate the journey you're on because things can change overnight. So I felt like I was a like a world away, and I one of I have big time imposter syndrome. So, like, I don't always think I deserve or should be in the position I'm in sometimes. And I question, which I, which is annoying because for me, I want to be somebody that, like, carries themselves like they are a star so people believe it. And I've always had that mentality. Um, but that was literally, it was almost like an overnight thing because the plan was, I, rig- I believe, was Shay, Monet and Versage were going to do a couple of open challenges with, like, um, different talent. And then eventually they wanted me to answer it. But something happened where I can't remember. Something happened where the first match, what that was planned, wasn't happening anymore. And they had this idea to just shove me in straight away. And I think I found out about it. I think it was like six days before. So obviously, knowing it was TNT, my nerves were through the roof because I was like, I know there's a lot of eyes on this. And, but I, I tend to do, regardless of how I feel leading up to it, I tend to thrive most when I'm under pressure. Um, and, going out there I was like I don't know how these are going to react to me um the, I don't think the footage of it does it justice for the reaction I got when like the video was playing and they knew it was me because I was like why why do these people care so much that it's me <laughs> like okay but I walked out and like I said it goes back to the mentality I had as well where I want people to know who I am before they see me wrestle which is why I grabbed the microphone and said what I said because I naturally as a character I'm very witty I love to read people all the time. I do it when I don't even know I'm doing it. So but what they were doing, I knew trying to cross. So I thought if we can create a bit of, I didn't want it to look too much like a, like I'm an underdog and I'm answering like the, like King of Gays or whatever, because it wasn't like, I know I'm talented and I know what I'm capable of. Like this is very much going to be a 50-50 thing. If you think for one minute I'm an underdog in this situation, you've got another thing coming. And it goes back to that like what I used to say about wrestling as well. We all know that a lot of gay characters and things like that were portrayed as a joke. And I would say Adam Bolt is not a gay character. Adam Bolt is the biggest ladies man you'll ever meet in your life. Like I might not be, but he is. So <laughs> so I wanted to just go out there and prove that the my most my main thing about that was obviously making a statement for myself, but also people taking people out of the illusion that it was LGBT talent in the ring and it was just a good match with two people that are very good at what they do. And then it, after it's just like, a, oh, yeah, they're both part of that. Like, it wasn't supposed to be a, oh, look at us, we're this and this. I, I just wanted to showcase that there are people that identify as that within the UK that are very good and can hang with some of the best. And 
judging by the reaction, I think we proved it that night because we had a very, very good match. I'll definitely agree with you on that. And I think that's one reason why I like how TNT presents, you know, queer characters. Queer characters, not necessarily queer characters, yeah. but like queer people that are in pro wrestling yeah. in a way. It's like it's not, it's very much about like the the prowess first and character is like right there neck and neck in a way. Um, but obviously, like I have to ask, you know, knowing the um, the importance that so many people in, in that scene hold for Visage for what they have done in the, in the pro wrestling world. Like what was it actually like for you to get the chance to read visage of all people? Like, Oh, <laughs> oh I love it. Like I live for that anytime. Like I used to be, I used to think that, okay, like I'll get in the ring and it goes back to what, like it goes back to like when I was in that training school, like we would go to shows and I would be a bit quiet and stuff like that. But when I was with my friends, who I was comfortable with, I would, come out with all sorts of stuff and it, it's like as well it, then it goes even further to what i was telling jack you know when i felt like jack wasn't being himself and i'm like you've got this amazing personality the same goes for me i had this thing about me where i was very witty and very like good with comebacks and insults for people i'll say insult comics so it doesn't sound like i'm off but i had that about me so people like it's just like something that can be added onto the character so like when i'm looking at i was thinking right i want to do I want to say something. And I just looked at them both and I just thought, this is easy. Like, this is so easy to read any, either of you two. So I just thought I'd just get them with a double header. And I did. And I literally walked out. I told the crowd, I said my name. I told them I make it look good. And then I called Shay Monet and Visage a bitch. That's all I did. In theory, that is all I did. And that was enough to get the card where I needed them to be. And I just think that in that moment, they knew who I was, they knew what I was about, and they knew that, why I was there. So, yeah, it was great, though. Like, just hearing that reaction when, like, even if people didn't react to it, like, just getting to say it, like, it's great. Like, when you're on any show like that and you get to, like, vent in a way that you can't normally in front of, like, a family crowd, I wish I could have that every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can definitely understand that desire there. I don't know. It was just really yeah. cool to see see you on that stage and, and to hopefully see you on stages that big uh, going forward. You know, it's like there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of talent there for Adam Bolt. Yeah. I will say I've thoroughly enjoyed watching you over the, the last uh, year plus or so. And um you know, having you here today and learning a bit more about your story has been a blast. Um, I do have one more question for you, though, as we kind of yeah. wind down a little bit here. I like to end on fun ones. And, you know, we have okay. a mutual we have a mutual acquaintance in Jack Murley from the LGBT sport yes. podcast. OK, yeah. And I was listening to your appearance, uh, your, which I learned prior to this recording was your very first podcast, which is interesting. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was my first. It was definitely the first one where I shared anything about my story. Anyway, yeah, I'm not sure if it was the first first, but it was the first when I was actually me. So that yeah, okay. And you told a story about um you and your brother, um oh. and a and a <laughs> yeah. scaffolding that was on your yeah. neighbor's house. <laughs> yeah. That um. Why why was your brother trying to suplex you off of scaffolding onto a trampoline? <laughs> because he's a psychopath. 
He's a psychopath, <laughs> that's why. No, in all seriousness. So, like, obviously, I don't... See, I, I'm, like, obviously over in the States and things like that. The, the impression you get, whether it's from looking or seeing, you know, knowing people where they live and things like that, a lot of houses over there seem to be bigger and have more room. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen a street of houses in the U.S., but it ain't like that. <laughs> There's not yeah, much room. Very, very close together, yeah. yes. <laughs> so the so our, our garden was, like, went up a bit and then the side like the street bent round so the side of the neighbor's house was on the back of our garden and she was having a guttering done at the top of the house and there was my mum had a trampoline on the grass and she'd gone shopping to do like the weekly food shop and obviously me and my brother used to wrestle all the time on the trampoline so we were straight up there as soon as we saw that car leave the street we were there and i I, it's kind of bad now it's probably not something to talk about because when i think about it i must have been like 10 which I can understand now, looking back, why my mum was so angry and she dropped the bags when she walked in and saw us up. But yeah, we used to do stuff like that all the time. We had a shed, we had a fence. We used to jump off of it all the time. Like he, at Christmas time, like I don't know what sort of like um food you obviously have over there, but like you get over here, we'd have like these tins of like chocolate or whatever it is that you you rather call it, and it used to have like little tin lids on it. Um, and he used to take them off and hit me on the head with him all the time. <laughs> like, God, we used to do it all the time. Like, there'd be anything we could grab, we'd use. Um, yeah, we we were idiots when we were younger, but I wouldn't change it because if anything, like, I've always looked for something in everything that teaches me something. If anything, that taught me when I first got into a ring that I was not going to be scared of bumping because I'd done it off a of scaffolding at 10. And if I could do it off a of scaffolding at 10, I weren't going to be scared about falling three feet at the age of 20. So mm. that is my biggest positive from that scary, <laughs> very traumatic experience. <laughs> I am very glad that you pulled a, a positive takeaway from that. Um, also, yeah. I I know I'm. This is the thing that we can laugh about now in the past, like in the future, because like no one yeah. was egregiously hurt or anything like that. But of course, like not to glorify throwing people off a scaffolding. Like that's never. No, don't yeah. do that. Don't suplex people would off not a scaffolding. Yeah. <laughs> Do not go throwing underage relatives or untrained relatives off of the scaffolding. Don't recommend it. Worked out well for me. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it'll be the same for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I'm not going to sit here and lie that I did do some dumb shit in the backyard wherever I was growing up to. So, oh, yeah. 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 We all do it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, Adam, this has been a, a treat. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Let everybody know where they can uh, find you online. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at AdamBall underscore. Instagram is AdamBallWrestler. I've recently started using TikTok a lot more, which I believe is just AdamBallWrestler. But a lot of that isn't even wrestling related. It's just me being an idiot. But either way, that's where most people can find me. And as always, thank you for having me. It's actually been very fun. It's been very good to vent about a few things as well and just remind myself of where I am because for every week that passes, I don't tell this story. I forget about it. So <laughs> kind of put it out. feel a sense of motivation like over here it's like eight o'clock at night and i feel like i should be going to the gym or something (laughs) (laughs) hey i the show motivates people in in many different ways and i'm glad that it does so but uh it's been it's been uh awesome to have you on though adam thank you again no thank you 
My thanks once again to Adam for taking the time to come on the show and talk all about his his journey in pro wrestling, his Shawn Michaels fandom, as well as um, his <laughs> the the various moments that came out of the uh, the WWE Pride uh, event. You know, um, I will say I I can understand. <laughs> Adam being taken aback a little bit and feeling a little bit on an island watching Mitchell Starr's glorious Rocky Horror Picture Show entrance during that event. Um, but yeah, it was a really awesome conversation. Keep your eyes out for Adam Bolt. It's going to be popping up in more places than than you may think going forward. Supremely talented. Um, that's going to do it for us this week, though. Uh, before we get out of here, though, just want to remind you, if you want to support the show, uh, well, you can do so over at patreon.com slash LGBT ring pod and join the roster of lovelies over there. Um, people like Jerry Legend, Alex E, and Val Capone. The subscribing at the $5 tier also gets you a bit of bonus love in the form of monthly bonus shows. You know, my f- good friend and collaborator Hollis, we do a show called Required Reading where we talk about pro wrestling matches and and films and in conversation with one another. Um, we're working on another episode of Oops All Fun Ones uh, with some very special guests. And those shows are just a really fun way to talk about pro wrestling in a different way. And I always love finding different ways to talk about pro wrestling. Not to mention the fact that I get to show Hollis matches that he's never seen before that are really dope and really fun. And really interesting to delve into in a way. Of course, our next episode for this month of Required Reading, we're going to be looking at Bray Wyatt. Um, I still don't know what film we're going to be looking at, but I can tell you all the match, which I haven't told Hollis yet. Um, (laughs) We're going back to 2020 and looking at the Firefly Funhouse match between Bray Wyatt and John Cena. I know it's a favorite for a lot of people, but I can guarantee that Hollis has not seen this yet. And... I need to share this with him. And I feel like it's a very quintessential match for um, the the creative person as well as the overall person that Bray Wyatt was. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a really fun one to see. So if you want to check that out, subscribe at the $5 tier over at patreon.com slash LGBT ring If you can't support the show financially in that way, I totally understand. Um, word of mouth. Uh, is always welcome. Spread the word. Ratings on podcast services of choice. All that good stuff. So keep an eye out. And for that announcement, it'll be coming later on this month. But for today, we will say goodbye. Until next week, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Get vaccinated and boosted, if at all possible. And uh, please be cordial during uh, PWI 500 Day. Bye. Everybody's ready to die. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. She made a deal with the